Where where did it go? It's not here. It's not here. Let's hit on and and weep. Okay. Good evening and welcome to Fifty Shades of Fail. We don't know what we're doing. We have no idea. It's great. I'm I'm Cleo. I'm Emily, and we are Wild Stallion. Oh wait, wait, no, that's that's the wrong thing. Okay, so uh, so here we are. We're the uh, fairly new hosts of Made a Fail, and if you missed the last episode, which was the transition episode, um, we had Kevin and Dana handing, passing the torch off to us, and so now we're your uh, we're your people now. So I hope you love us, and I'm gonna let Cleo talk a little bit about what she's been up to lately because she's doing some cool stuff. Uh, man, life is life's rich pageant. So, I uh, I have been sick several times. I have twisted my ankle. I had a phantom dental emergency. I persevere. A we have dental emergency. What what is that? <laughs> no. You... Oh I... my god! Did you have haunted teeth? Because that would be really crazy. Did you hear the radio in your teeth? Because I hear that happens. <laughs> All I know is my teeth hurt, and I was panicked for, like, four days, and I was like, I I clearly have a million cavities. This is going to cost $15,000, and I'm going to have no teeth, but I've got to go to the dentist because it hurts, and he looked at my teeth, and he's like, I've gone to this man for, like, 20 years, and he was like, your teeth look fine. I wish my teeth looked this good, and I was like, what What are you talking about? He does x-rays. He's like, they're fine. I'm like, no, they're not. They hurt. So we sit there back and forth trying to figure out what it is. And he's finally like, are you a clencher? I'm like, (laughs) you know. Speaking of Fifty Shades of, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, God. So I was like, you know, it's it's funny that you mention that. Because (laughs) why, yes, I clench my jaw all the time. So apparently there is a little disgust phenomenon where if you clench your jaw and or grind your teeth. I do both. This is a public PSA. This one's extra public. It's extra public. I'm doing you guys a service. Your teeth, uh, specifically kind of around, I guess, what is it, your incisors? If you clench your jaw, there's like an oval of muscle that can cause pain kind of near the front of your teeth. And he said, apparently, there's not a whole lot of medical dental literature about it. But like half an hour into me being like, but my teeth are haunted. What is going on? He finally figured this out. And so now I have to get a prescription toothpaste and it's $20. That, that kind of sucks. Whoa. Well, no, I, as opposed to $15,000 and no teeth left. Well, I yeah, was, no, I mean, that's, that's fair. That's, that's I fair. bounced out of there like, this was the best dentist visit ever. <laughs> this is amazing. And then they don't have the $20 toothpaste anywhere in this. Oh, I was like, okay, fine, Sensodyne. I got out of this. I have been saved. It's amazing. So the reason I was clenching my jaw was because I was excitedly, feverishly working on all of these eyeshadow posts oh, yeah. for Kristen. Yeah, yeah at, uh, I think the current site is aromaleecosmetics.com. We'll obviously have a link to that in the show notes. And she's been working on a... Blade Runner inspired collection called More Human Than Human and today I put up the first post for the title color I guess you'd call it More Human Than Human and um, I mostly helped with the visuals I she already had most of her concepts laid out this is one of her favorite movies she really wanted to do it so I 
put together some visual palettes for and then started trying to match the eyeshadow prototypes to the pictures to show everybody else where it came from. So we're going to be having uh, that today. Origami Unicorn is tomorrow. Origami uh, Unicorn? That's fantastic. Have you, have you seen Blade Runner? Oh, yeah. No, I well, I was going to say I love Blade Runner and uh, a lot of the movies that are the Philip K. Dick stories I love. So, so, yeah, no, so, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of based on both the dream sequence and kind of the silver of the actual origami. Mm-hmm. And uh, people were actually like, could, could you maybe possibly do an origami? I was like, no, she's already got it covered. You guys are <laughs> so excited. We have got, we're on top of this. Well, but I'm looking so, at um, the colors that you sent me and obviously famous scene, but also like tears and rain, the color, I just want to pet it. It looks awesome and shiny and every kind of rainbow sparkles that I want in my it's, life. It's really cool. It's really cool in <laughs> person. <looks> like it. <laughs> I think so far my two favorites just because of the colors I like to wear are Incept Date and Blush Response mm-hmm. which was made for something special I requested. Um, let me see. So on top of that no, I was, I was happy. I wasn't stressed but I was just very intently like working on all these posts to, you know, so she could look at the drafts and then I just was clenching my jaw and that so, apparently oh, is what's part I was just so when, uh, you said that, um, which ones so they're all coming out on the 23rd? Is that what's going they're on? They're all this, this Monday. There's only 10 of them. It's a, kind of a mini collection so okay. they're all going up so I'm doing a couple of posts in advance and okay, then we'll, we'll put a link up for that. Oh my god, Replicant. I like Replicant. I want that one. I just saw, I, I hadn't scrolled all the way down to, I missed the bottom two. I, Replicant looks awesome. It's like purple, and I love purple. Oh. It's philosophically deep. It is very deep. <laughs> um, I think that is the scene where Deckard is chasing Zora? Snake Lady. Snake Lady. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, I it picks up a lot of movie. I love it. Um, a lot of the neon and the the like broken glass, and it's it's really cool. The pictures we were able to to match to that. It looks so cool. Well, I'll tell you. So yeah, speaking of the eyeshadow, so uh, everybody, since Cleo already knows this, so Cleo gave me samples from the Hannibal line of the same the same eyeshadows, and I've played with them a little bit, not as much as I would like to, because I can't go into work looking like you know I just had a rainbow explode on my face every day. And I'm not very good at, like, it takes me a while to get one eyeshadow look to actually look good. But I was using them uh, this one time when I went over to my family's house for a visit. And they were so much fun, and I love them. So I'm going to say, like, my favorite colors that I was using for this one look that I did uh, was, like, Tattler and Crackler. And I think it was Veneer and Phoenix, and they were all so cool. But um, if you guys haven't seen the Hannibal line... There's like tons of colors, and I, I absolutely, I need to learn how to use murder tie because it's a really cool color. And I feel like it would work on me, I just don't know exactly what, how. So, and Ravenstag, and what was the other one? Oh, Laps. Those are, they're, they look so amazing. I need to use them more. But anyway, yeah, so I've used these, and they're awesome, and everyone should get them. <laughs> Laps is actually a really cool highlight on Gotcha because there's some teal Ooh. kind of tucked into Gotcha somewhere. Uh, as kind of like a. Now. Let me see. Where's that one? It's Beverly's jacket. 
Oh, here's it's Gotcha. Beverly's... Okay, and that's, you know what? Yeah, I, yeah Gotcha's a, a brownish color that would work for me anyway, generally, because the browns always work for me. So I'll have to try that together. That's a good idea. It's kind of a, a purplish tone, kind of a, but also it, it's kind of like the the wine-colored leather of her jacket plus some kind of a mauve purple that was in a specific picture I gave to Kristen and there was like the aqua of her gloves and that's why Laps picks it up. Oh, nice. Yeah, no. Oh, she does all this complicated stuff. It's amazing. I mean, there are several of them I love, but when it's just my go-to is Abattoir. Oh, I love, yeah, I actually really like that color. That one just always looks good by itself and I'm happy. Uh, And then people go, what are you wearing? Slaughterhouse? That's fine. (laughs) Well, I, that's why I want to be able to use murder tie well, because, you know, I just, I really want to have murder tie on my eyes, and people be like, oh, what are you wearing, murder tie? <laughs> murder tie. Um, <laughs> last, but yeah. Last worn by Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the other thing is that, and, and you know this, because you're my oh, agent. Oh, yeah, and oh, before you do that, actually, since we're talking about nerd makeup, um, I'm going to give a little shout-out to uh, something that I, I might have, I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, but if you want something to go with your nerd eyeshadows from Blade Runner or Hannibal or whatever, get yourself over to Espionage Cosmetics for the nerd nail wraps, because they are really cool. So they have, like, all the, like, Harley Quinn, Deadpool, Batman, um, they have, like, the Jane hat ones, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all kinds of crazy nail wraps, so, yeah, check those out, too. Anyway. Like, so. decals? Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they're, like, it's weird, they're, like, I, I've tried them, I have several, I've tried them twice, and it takes a little practice, but you basically, you clean your nails, and then you kind of, they have a tutorial that's on, like, YouTube, you stick them on your nails, and then the excess, you kind of just, like, cut or pull it off of the end of your nails, and then you put a coat of like the clear like clear coat over it and it stays for i would say like upwards of 2 weeks if you don't take it off i mean obviously your nails grow out eventually but it stays and it's they're they're pretty oh, wow. durable yeah they're they're so yeah. cool and they last for a while so yeah do they have actual like the nail polish as uh, well or just the wraps they they have a lot of different things they actually have some eyeshadows and stuff but i haven't used anything except the wraps i don't know they have let's see they have lip serum and eyeshadow i don't think they have nail polish i think they just have the but i yeah i'm seeing the nail wraps i don't know if i'm like missing something else oh now they have borderlands and they have wolverine uh adamantium and they have like they have circuit boards and chain mail all kinds of crazy stuff they have cats <laughs> <laughs> cat faces but yeah they they have um lip stuff and eyeshadow and then the nail wraps and i think that's their main lines but so you were saying about this exciting other thing that you were doing and that i totally do know about yes <laughs> i i wrote a story for janine spend loves war the seasons series and the fourth novel has just gone up on kickstarter and it's got I think it's a novella she wrote to go along with the story, and it's got some short stories from other authors, including me, uh, that are um, set in her universe. And I set my story as kind of a side scene in the first novel, because I'm always kind of interested by... You know, you have your main characters on the quest, but, you know, what what does everyone do who's left behind, you know, and they have to deal with, you know, this whole situation and this information of like, oh, our savior just arrived, you know, and there, there she went. It's basically about how 
the main characters go on their quest and what do the people who are left behind do? And they have to wait and they don't know whether their hero savior will succeed. What happens if they fail? And they just have to wait and find out. I, yeah, I really like that approach. I mean, okay, so I'm biased because, yeah, I am your agent <laughs> and I read it. <laughs> but, no, I really like that approach. And you helped me revise it. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, no, but, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was a great story and, a, like you said, a good side story to the main stuff that Janine was writing. So. Well, and there's a beautiful piece of art that she has to go with it. And I'm going to see if I can post that on Tumblr because I know she uh, – so we could post the art at some point. So I'm going to see if I can, if I can do that. But that the Kickstarter is currently up, and we'll have a link to that. And so that's actually the second short story I've had published in about a year or so. That's going. I got that going for me. All right. So what are what are you up to now that we've gotten through my haunted teeth and my sparkle consultancy and. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't want haunted teeth, but I love the idea of haunted teeth. So, um, <laughs> well, okay, so yeah, I'm I, I'm doing the usual, which is the comic mix stuff. But I also actually I went to the Baker Street Irregulars weekend in January. So um, this is like convention off season for me because I don't. It's weird to think of it as having seasons, but I usually go to conventions from somewhere in like May or June through you know October. Like it's now that AwesomeCon is a thing, which, by the way, is coming back to D.C. this year and has a really good lineup of guests coming. Uh, I don't, I'm not involved in organizing it this year like I was last year, but I've been watching the announcements come out, and uh, it, it looks really cool, and there's going to be some really great guests, and I'm going to be there as press, I assume, or whatever. I'll figure something out. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so AwesomeCon is, like, in May. May, I think it's the 29th to 31st or something like that, May something like that we'll link it and um and then it you know it, the other side of it is usually new york comic-con but in the off season i go into new york city for the baker street irregulars weekend a lot of people have never heard of that but it's like the sherlock holmes fans and so i went to that this year and it was it was a lot of fun um and there's some really cool people who go like it was so funny at the dinner this year there was somebody extremely tall here there and it turned out to be kareem abdul jabbar who, oh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's written or co-written uh, or is co-writing or something like that, a book or a book series on Mycroft. Like oh, Mycroft wow. Films. Yeah. And it sounds really cool and interesting. And so there was they they broke the news literally that weekend. So I don't know a ton about it other than like the basics, but it sounds cool. And I'm interested. And I always like Mycroft as a like, you know, you wonder what he's up to, and they hint at, like, oh, he pretty much runs the government and all this stuff, but you never get to see him that much, so I'm curious about that, like, how, how that would play out. Um, so, yeah, so that was really fun, and uh, any Sherlock Holmes fans out there who aren't aware should know that in New York, every January, like, was it the second weekend or whatever, they have this, and it's really fun. So... So I did that, and that was fun for the convention off-season. And then I'm still writing for Comic Mix, which I do every week on Tuesdays. Um, and so this last, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago now? This last week, right? Yeah, on the 17th, I actually wrote uh, an article that kind of relates to this podcast and what Cleo and I have been going through trying to figure out what we wanted to do. So I was writing this article, and it was basically like... 
I sat down and I thought, okay, I want to write about, like, you know, the new thing. Everybody writes about, like, what's coming out this week? And I know that the, you know, the Spider-Man universe keeps getting bigger and bigger and more confusing, but also people are really excited about it and things happening all the time. And then I thought, I don't know any of that stuff because I have work every day and then I come home and sometimes I'm tired and so I'm behind all the time. And even though I love, you know, comics and everything. So I wrote this article that was basically like, you know what, screw all that, I'm just gonna read whatever I want to, including rereading Deadpool for the 15,000th time, because it's just fun for me. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I still read new stuff, but I'm just like, I decided I don't really... When I was a kid, I never worried about, you know, the latest thing. I was, I didn't even know when I was a kid, and I've written about this too, I didn't even know that I was a geek when I was a kid, because I didn't always share with people like oh this is what I'm reading and they weren't always interested because a lot of kids just thought I was weird and now we have this great you know like mainstream geek culture where everyone is seeing like oh Game of Thrones like people who would never have read those giant ass books would you know have seen the show or like oh you know all the like Agent Carter is on on TV now or or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever Daredevil's coming up so there's all this stuff and it's great but now that everyone knows everything and talks about it all the time, I always feel like I'm behind because people will be like, have you seen this yet? Because they know it's something I, I would probably like. And I'm like, no, but I will. So I kind of wrote about that, and, and that was my latest thing on Comic Mix. Um, and I write about all different kinds of things on there. But so when we were working on this podcast, well, Cleo, do you want to say anything about that whole <laughs> this experience we've had? What I love is that, you know, back last year when we were trying to get this together our the topic we decided on was fall tv <laughs> fall tv it's february it's almost <laughs> march so there's that um, oh god we tried i i'm seriously it's well that's the problem is i wanted to do this just as like we both were like fall tv that's great there are so many good shows coming out and we were both excited about different ones, and I was like, oh my god, The Flash, Constantine, Gotham, you know, Agent Carter. At the time, I don't even know if Agent Carter was as, like, known that it was coming out at the time. I think Gotham and The Flash and Constantine were the big comic book ones. And I was like, I'm gonna watch all of them. Well, I'm, like, halfway through Gotham. And that's, like, <laughs> and caught up on Agent Carter, and that's it of, of the TV shows. I saw the last ten minutes of Gotham a few times because it was right on before Sleepy Hollow. And I gave up on Sleepy Hollow after about three episodes this season because I, I'll tell you the one that broke me. It was the one about Ichabod's former fiance turning into a vengeful water ghost. And <laughs> it, it was just so different in terms it, of how they treated women. Is that, okay, so that wasn't like par for the course. I, I don't. I haven't seen Sleepy Hollow, so tell us about that. Cause. Well, they they had a showrunner change. The first season was very much devoted to diverse characters. More than half of the cast was not white. Uh, you know, Orlando Jones is on it. Right. Um, I'm I'm trying to think. Um, Nicole Barry. I, I'm not entirely sure how to say her last name. Uh, she is. Is that, is that the main character? That's Abby. Who, yeah. yeah, yeah. She looked. I saw like 15 minutes of it one time, and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. But she looked really awesome. <laughs> She's super awesome, and her sister Jenny is super awesome. And uh, Orlando Jones, who plays you know Captain Irving, had his family. Um, Amanda Stern 
Berg, I think. It, she was Rue in The Hunger Games, was his daughter. Oh, I love that actress. She's so yeah. cool and very good, like, for a young a young person, you know, however old she is. There was a, a Latino co-worker who had a thing for Abby. They may have already dated at some point, and he was on for a few episodes. John Cho was on. He was so great for several oh. episodes. And so it was very much... I, I had heard that Fox had a diversity initiative, Apparently, they shut that down. So we get uh. the second season, and suddenly it's going to be all about Ichabod's wife, Katrina, who's now out of purgatory, and their grown-up son, played by John Noble, who's like okay. twice their age. He's great. I love him. <laughs> but what? So, and then they bring in this new dude named Holly, and it's like... He reminds me for no good reason of Matthew McConaughey in the movie Sahara that my mom loves so much, the Dirk Pitt novels. He's just kind of this blonde adventurer dude who is hitting on Abby and or Jenny indiscriminately. And he just suddenly kind of took over the show and it was like him. And then it was a storyline about Katrina, maybe having, and then they brought on the headless horseman who turned out to be her fiance in the previous season and okay. he had her kidnapped and were they possibly going to get back? To, I was like, I don't, I don't care about these people. I don't care about any of these people. <laughs> Why where, does that make such a drastic change? I, want, I guess maybe the showrunner thing. They got a new showrunner. They got yeah. some new writers. Yeah. I mean, I love John Noble, although I'll still think of fringe whenever I see him, but you know, I mean like <laughs> I actually just kind of gave up on sleepy hollow. I feel terrible. I started watching fringe. I'm about into the fourth season of Fringe now. That's I haven't. Cool. I left off after a while. I, I watched Twin Peaks twice through last year. Uh, I'd never watched that before. Then I, I started tried watching. to watch it. It's it's so slow. I mean, I've watched about three episodes now, but it's so slow. It's it's not the pace you would expect. I thought it was going to be all dream sequences, and it's very much this kind of comfortable soap opera. Yeah. At, at a lot of at a lot of points, it's very oh, much I, into the people. It's very what? It's very much into the people of the town. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I will. I will say, um, having watched a few episodes, I now have more appreciation for the uh, the episode of Psych where they parody Twin Peaks, which is amazing. Even if you've never seen Twin Peaks, because the, the, there's enough cultural references that everybody kind of knows that you can kind of get it. But now that I've seen the original, and they got some of the actors from the original to like be in the, the parody one, like when they did uh, um, the the Clue one, they did that too. So yeah, I have more appreciation now for the, the I, episode. I appreciate Hannibal more because even though I, I knew a lot of the touchstones of, the, of Twin Peaks, Brian Fuller had said that he kind of wanted his version of Hannibal to be kind of through the lens of Twin Peaks and, and David Lynch. Oh. I mean, like just just the color combination of deep red and light blue shows up. I mean, just all kinds of, just on a molecular level, all kinds of things from this show. Like, every time there's a deer head on the wall, I'm just like, you know, just a, right? deer, a, a random deer head lying on the table at the bank. For no, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I there's all kinds of little things that you just really appreciate. So many shows, so many shows, you see how the DNA of, I mean, like the X-Files. I mean, there's all kinds oh, of yeah. shows that just have the DNA of this one strange, weird little outlier of a show. 
Oh yeah, no, there's like callbacks that I like the deer head on the table and stuff. I've seen even when I even the few episodes I did watch, and I do I actually like it. It's just that like yeah, I think I have to be in the right mood for it. But you can see the callbacks that that other shows are doing to Ooh. that aesthetic and or the yeah, just the weirdness of it. Which there's is explicit cool. there's explicit callbacks to it in Fringe. Oh really? Because I, like, I mean, I've seen a couple. Uh, what did I? I think I was in the first or second season of Fringe, and then I, I kind of let it drop for a while. Walter <laughs> mentions not being able to keep up. <laughs> Walter mentions his friend, Doctor Jacoby from the Pacific Northwest. Oh. Like he specifically, they they explicitly say that Fringe is in the Twin Peaks universe. They mention yeah. like multiple times there are little things like that that cross over, and it's it's totally. It's totally wild when you see that. Oh, that's pretty cool. But no, I I feel terrible. But like, I just gave up on Sleepy Hollow. And maybe if they, I think they've had the season finale at this point. If they pull up and get out of this death spiral, I might come back for the third season. But people left the show in droves. Just in droves. There were so many think pieces about what Sleepy Hollow is doing wrong. And why is this all about Katrina? And why is this all about this one you know, random white dude over here who we don't even know or care about what uh, happened. That's unfortunate. Oh. And it's, for whatever reason, they got a totally different showrunner, and he was super, super interested in Katrina. In interviews mm-hmm. he gave, everyone was like, I think he's a little too interested in this character. But, oh my god, it's like it's like the uh, the whole Emma Watson, uh, like the Hermione and Ron Weasley kind of goes by the wayside kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, like Harry and Hermione are the main show now, and well, Steve Cloves, (laughs) Steve Cloves was super into Hermione and or Emma Watson, and it's it's a little bit like that, except it's it's super. I mean, spoiler alert! Apparently, Katrina goes evil in this finale, and it was like, guys, you waited way too long to have that happen super way too long because we all knew it was eventually going to happen or why else were we dragging this out and meanwhile they lost about two thirds of their I mean it was of their audience it was it was some just astonishing number of viewers they lost and the actors would be sitting on Twitter begging people no just just keep watching you're gonna understand where we're going with this just keep watching but at the same time I mean, I don't. I, I get why the actors would want you to, but if you have to say that about a, about a show, then there's something off about the show. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, Orlando Jones was like, he was taking no prisoners. He would be like, guys, please keep watching the show. But then he would be like, so you killed the black character on the show. God, okay. <laughs> well, he is Orlando Whatever. Jones. I wouldn't expect no less, no, really. No, I'm just saying, he, he called them out at several I mean, you could yeah, tell the- should. That's 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 good. They they brought his character back also. <laughs> I, I lo- he's I I I like him just generally as an actor and so I'm, I'm glad yeah. to see him. Oh, he's great on there. Tumblr as well. Oh, but yeah. they they just really for whatever reason, the new showrunner had a complete opposite planet misunderstanding of why people liked this show in the first season and proceeded to throw all of that out the window. Oh. And to to make this to bring this back to your point, I think a lot of us just said there are so many choices and there are so many good choices out there in the world of geek entertainment. Yeah. Nobody has time in their life for this. Nobody has time in their life 
to deal with this. And maybe if you get through this season and I hear from somebody that it recovered where it was going, or if you come back in the third season and say, we brought back the other show runners and writers, we're going to fix it. We understand. Maybe I'll give you another chance. But like when you throw everything we liked about it out the window, well, then, well, life is too short. then yeah, then people are gonna go. Speaking of speaking of other shows that we want to talk about, people are gonna go to a show that I think is doing everything right, which is Agent Carter, which I am so hooked on right now. I really am, and not not just because I actually was able to catch up on all the back episodes without having to you know resort to any illegal searching for things. <laughs> now are are all eight episodes out? Uh, I think I might, I think I've, I've watched seven of them, so maybe the eighth one isn't on Hulu yet. The last one I watched is called Snafu, um, so I may be one behind. That's the uh, most, that's the most recent one. Maybe okay, there's yeah. one more left. I I haven't caught up since the, I saw the first three. I saw the okay. first three. And I keep meaning to catch up, and I know it's terrible because everyone keeps making the point that you've got to watch the show if you want it to get renewed. I, well, I, mean, I feel terrible. Well, I mean, the thing is, I, and I hope they're counting Hulu because I watched it all on Hulu. So they do. Are they? Okay, they do. yeah, because I, I didn't... I mean, I guess I could have also watched it on uh, Comcast because I have the, you know, like, the on-demand thing. And I just, uh... I, yeah, I... Like, like what you were saying, it's so hard to keep up on stuff. And I, it was literally one of those things where I was going to watch Gotham, but there weren't enough of the episodes still on to catch up as much as I wanted to. And then I was like, wait, all the episodes of Agent Carter are on. I'll watch that because, you know, everybody's been talking about it. So... Yeah, I sat down and I I, I binge watched like five episodes, and then the, the latest two came out, and I I watched them like today um, to catch up. But oh my god, the show! I just and so spoiler alert, obviously. And do you do you care if I'm spoiling it for you, Cleo? I know you. Said I know. You. Okay. I know what happens. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I don't I don't really think I'm necessarily gonna spoil stuff, except maybe by accident. But like, I love this show for so many reasons, and it and. Which, okay, so also, I, I started watching Agents of, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it came out, and I watched the first, like, five or six episodes, and I've heard it got a lot better. Like, it started off and it wasn't hanging together as well, and now it's better, but I haven't caught up on it, um, because, you know, just too much going on. But Agent Carter, it's funny, because they're both about, like, almost like, okay, peripheral characters that they're then making a bigger scene about, and I feel like Agent Carter works really well for that for, like, several reasons. One being that you don't have to... Like, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's all this stuff that's supposed to be going on in the now universe, like, global stuff that's supposed to be going on in the now universe, and you want to see the big heroes all the time, whereas with Agent Carter, it's focusing on someone who's big hero that was in her life, you know, not, not in that sense, but just, like, the main character hero that would have been in her orbit is gone. So there's no expectation that you're going to see, like, Steve, because he, he's not there anymore. And, I mean, he's referenced, which is awesome, and they pull in all the little bits of, like, stuff that you would expect, and you get to see, like, Howard Stark, and, like, who is a total... <laughs> he's such a total womanizer, and it's hilarious. And you just watch it, and you're just like... One of these days, he's going to have a redeeming characteristic. Um, <laughs> except for being smart, you know. But I feel like it's really cool that they, they were able to take this, like, kind of niche where she is and make it into a fully-fledged show where it's in the Marvel Universe and it's referenced that it's in the Marvel Universe by all these different points, 
but it's all about I mean some of these characters I, I as far as I know you haven't seen them in comics you know like some of the people that she worked with or if you have I haven't read about it so because I I don't know if she's had comics that I haven't read because they're you know smaller scale but um, but I, I actually really like the characters in the show even absent the fact that they're in the Marvel Universe and that's part of why I like it but anyway I'm talking a lot so yeah. well no I I think what makes the show so much easier to walk into as a viewer is that because they put it at the beginning of the agency's history, you don't have all of this baggage of all of these people, all of the, you can just start from the beginning, you know, early on. And it's very easy to walk into it. It doesn't feel like anything else. I mean, other than the first captain America movie, it's, it's very much like a, a very fun forties, you know, noir kind of tone. And I, I just really love Haley Atwell. So that oh, was so good. Oh God. And I love the, uh, I just love the feel of it. Like the forties. I mean, I love that era anyway. So like the forties, the noir, the spy stuff, but it's not predictable spy stuff all the time. And if it is, they make fun of it some. So that's, that's really fun. <laughs> but I, and I really like that. And I mean, like you were saying, because you know, all of these movie characters you don't expect to see show up. It is because, you know, it's kind of before all these other people, you know, turned up in the Marvel Universe. Have, did you yeah. see Winter Soldier? The second oh, yeah. Captain? Yeah. I okay. Know. So that's, you'll understand what I'm saying. The reason they ended up saying that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was so slow was because they had to wait for Winter Soldier to reveal the Hydra twist. Right. right. And after they were able to reveal that, the show didn't have to keep shuffling its feet and being like, so stuff's going to happen eventually. And they were like, oh, look, now our life is a lie and we didn't know about that and how do we deal with that? And apparently they reveal, uh, I mean, spoiler, I'll be very vague, that one of the characters is actually a superhero from the comics and did not know it. And it's sort of this character's origin story and you didn't know it. Okay, I haven't gotten to that part yet. I, I know, like, I heard it got better. I heard about the Hydra connection, and I do need to catch up on that. And I'm, I'm sure it is, like, more snappy now, but it was it was hard to really, like, stick with it at the beginning a little bit, even I mean, though I love Marvel so much. Honestly, I don't, I don't watch it. The entire premise, it doesn't interest me. I'm not that into Marvel. I, I pick and choose what interests me, you know, in and of itself, and so Agent Carter interested me. in and of itself completely apart from the MCU. Well, and part of the thing that I like about Agent Carter versus Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and speaking of things that interest me, I cannot wait for Daredevil on Netflix. I just, I don't even know if it's going to be any good, but it's got Vincent D'Onofrio as the kingpin, and what is it, uh, what's his name, Charlie Cox, is it, as uh, as Daredevil, am I getting that right? I don't even know. It's just, it looks cool, and I'm like, Daredevil on Netflix, and they're releasing it all in one day, I'm going to die of... Oh, yeah, I'm going to die of dehydration while I watch it, because I'm just going to power through the whole thing. Wasn't uh, Charlie Cox in Stardust? He was. He was in Stardust. I remember really liking him in Stardust. Yeah, he was really good in that. Um, But going back to the... So, like, Agents of... Oh, I love Stardust. It's one of my favorites. Neil Gaiman, shout out. Um, But, but no, Agents Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. versus Agent Carter. What I... I was thinking about this, and I was like... I know it's kind of weird to say, but... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is so in the now 
and in the like even in the first episodes that I actually have watched where it's like surveillance and today's terrorism and all that kind of stuff and Agent Carter even though things were obviously very grim at you know in wartime history back then and everything it's so removed from what we're living in that it's kind of fun to look back at it you know and see the whole the, like you know the kind of espionage as it was and there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in the show, but it's still, like, older crazy stuff that, you know, now we've got advanced crazy stuff that could be happening to us right now, like, people are listening into my conversation, right? Oh, wait, made a fail people are listening into it. Yeah, anyway, so... <laughs> well, the thing is, we, we know that that history, that period of history, or certain sides of history, it turned out okay. Right, and so and we already know kind what's of happening now. with yeah, and we don't know what's going to happen to our own world, and there's a lot of scary stuff out there, and so it's kind of fun to to do the kind of look back. But also, I, I speaking of the references, I love when they do pull in the other more peripheral characters, like the Howling Commandos came back, and spoiler alert, whatever. I don't yeah, know. I heard it, about that. Yeah, it was a great episode, and I love. I can't remember the actor's name, but the one who plays Dum Dum Dugan. Oh my god, he is. I just love them, and then, of course, we've got Jarvis, who is the, you know, Jarvis 1.0, the actual human being before um, Tony makes him into, you know, makes him a computer program and everything, and Jarvis is so great! Oh my god, I love what they did with his character, and I, I love the fact that he's, like, he's a married guy with a wife that he clearly loves, and so he and Agent Carter have a buddy thing going on, but it's not a ridiculously over like sexualized thing or anything like that. It's like loyalty is there, and I mean it's tested, but it's you know loyalty and the teamwork dynamic and all of that. But he's got his own life that he's you know and his own romance with his wife, and there's a sweet like story backstory to that. And you know she's got her unfortunate you know thing with Captain America that didn't work out because he's frozen as a capsicle for years to come. And it's I love that aspect of it, and they that like what they've done with Jarvis as, as a like as a kind of secondary main character. I don't know. So and, side, and the fact that they bring him in. Side note: James Darcy shows up at the beginning of Jupiter Ascending. Does he? He oh, does. I I you know I had seen. We'll him get to that others. later, yes. but yeah. Yes, we'll get to that. I had seen him in a couple of. Uh, I've seen him around before, but I had to look him up. I was like, who is that actor? He's so good. But, um, yeah, no, he does a really good job as Jarvis, and and I love, there's, like, you know, there's the moments of humor, not just between them, but, like, the show is so good at the fun stuff, and, like, kind of making fun of the, you know, the expected sometimes, and that's, and the, the like, the, like, the bit where, um, uh, what's her name? Oh, Dottie, who's actually named something else, the Russian assassin person. She, like, kisses uh, Peggy with her own lipstick, and it's, like, a callback to, like, three episodes before, and it's this, like, I don't know, it's just one of those little fun things that they put in okay. there. Clarify this for me. Dottie is the waitress? Okay, sorry. Angie's the waitress. Dottie is the girl who moves in next door in the, like, Fort Knox-type, you know, girls-only place that they all end up living for a while. Oh. And um, Dottie is one of the... She's a Russian assassin who they, like, brainwashed and trained all these little girls to grow Damn up it. and be... I kind of wanted Angie to be the traitor. I, I didn't <laughs> quite catch which name yeah. when I read, you know, whatever day after recap okay. description spoiler and I 
Angie just struck me as being weirdly insistent in the first three episodes. Like, but you got to come live with me. But why don't you want to hear about anything I want to talk about? But you have to be my friend. And I was like, yeah, she, she was. is she going to turn? Was, yeah, she was weirdly. But she turns out to be, so far at least, a good friend. And like uh, helps, helps Peggy out, but then Peggy gets caught anyway. But, I, I um, was hoping I was perceiving something that was going to play out. No, but, well, maybe later. So I close. Don't know, but, yeah, so far. So close. She is weirdly like, oh my god, please be my friend. But, I mean, you know, to be fair, I would want to be Peggy's friend, too, because she is freaking <laughs> cool. She is so cool! And that's, okay, so that's another part of the show that I love. Peggy is just totally legitimately a badass. And what I like, and so a lot of people have talked about, like, the feminist notes of the show, or, or the feminist, like, straight out in your faceness of the show, and that, it's true, but what I really love about, and that's, and it's great, what I really love about it is that the show doesn't do it with a wink and a nod at all. It calls it out repeatedly, and it's so natural to the era that in the most recent episode, when they're like, wait, and spoiler, big spoiler, or whatever, um, you know, the, the guys at SSR are like, wait, Peggy, you've been conducting this whole investigation right under our noses, and you did all this stuff, because she gets found out of all the stuff that she's been doing yeah. in previous episodes, and they're like, you did all this, and how did we not realize this? And she's like, because I'm invisible. Unless I'm filing your stuff or getting your coffee, I'm invisible. You don't listen to me, you don't pay attention to me. And none of them are like, nuh-uh, they all just kind of look at her. <laughs> <laughs> they're like there's nothing wrong with that as an explanation because it's true and and they don't they don't either like try to deny it or like say well why would we they just kind of look at her and they're like huh <laughs> and it's so yeah. but it's like it's just you know it's just there and then like in this i think it was this this same most recent episode um or was it the no it was the previous one where she gets arrested by ssr um, you know, she and Jarvis are in the, the automat, which I, I seriously, I love the automat where you just, you know, like you could put the coin in and get the food. I want those back. Why can't we have those? Those are so cool. <laughs> it's totally like, anyway. So, um, I do love that era, but you know, they're in the automat and it's her and Jarvis and she realizes they're all coming to arrest her and she's like, okay, I need you to man the door and make sure that nobody else gets in. And then she kicks ass with like five or six agents and they have to go back and tell the chief that they like let her get away and she beat them all up and he's like one woman did this to all of you and they're like yes <laughs> and it's just so great because she she really doesn't pull any punches there's no it's not girly fighting it's just straight out like you know business like that's what it is is because she's in the business of being a spy and you know being having to defend her life and so she's very business like about it and that's what i like about the way they're portraying feminism because or, or the feminine perspective in that era or whatever you want to call it, it is, it's how I see the world a lot of the time when, when do it's still today when dudes don't listen to me and I'm just like, you just aren't seeing me because I'm a female. Or when people are like, oh, you know, you're a woman, but you still did that. I'm like, no, I did that because it's who I am as a person, not because of being a woman. Or I don't know how to explain it, but I just see so many elements in the show where I'm like, that's, yep, that's what I, if I was a spy, that's what exactly how I would want to be, no matter what, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, judging from the live tweeting I've seen, it really, really speaks to a lot of people, particularly female viewers. And I think that was just such a... The only word I can think of is thirst. Uh, such a thirst for a female lead 
show. I mean, people keep saying, where is our Black Widow movie? Where is it? And we finally got, you know, Agent Carter. And the thing I just noticed the first night when people were live tweeting, they were just so delighted, just purely delighted and validated. And it was just so amazing to even see this on TV at all. Yeah, well, and I think what's interesting is, you know, we're looking at the 40s and stuff like that. And yet the way that things are... The thing she has to go through being a female in this office of males who, like she says about the chief at one point, like, you're all, you all see me as, you know, what you see me as, you know, I'm like a lost puppy to you that has to be rescued and I'm like this to you and I'm like that to you. And it's, it's so interesting because it's this, you know, long gone era that my grandparents were a part of and yet the things that happened to her and the way that she sees them, because you're seeing it with her lens, uh, you know, at least some of the time, and the way that she deals with it, it's, it resonates. It resonates today. It's still something that women deal with, and unfortunately, it's just, uh, like, it's acknowledged more, but it doesn't mean it's always changed. And so we still deal with dudes being like, you know, oh, well, you know, that's just the way the world is. You know, women do this, and men do this. And, and it's still there, so to see it on TV is great. I, I feel like it does need to be noted that there was concurrently a uh, widespread discussion on Twitter and Tumblr about how there are very few people of color on the show. And Spider reminded me of that because that was a black actor and they immediately killed him off. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't true. seen more than three episodes. Things may have gotten better. I think think I heard somebody say something about the last episode or two, but there was concurrently this really interesting discussion of how you can be so grateful for one kind of representation while still saying, but here's this other kind and you can do better. Please do better. And there was this interesting argument about, you know, you need to have, you need to be able to criticize a certain aspect, but does that harm your chances of, like, if you're trying to get something renewed, well, and, does it hurt that effort to focus on any criticism at all? Well, I think that there should always be, if you legitimately are watching the show and you're sitting there and you're going, I really wish that there was XYZ in the show, there's no reason not to say that. I, I, always, am, I always applaud diversity when I see it in any medium. You know, if, if they've got this show that is trying to tell this story and there's a way to make the story about a broader world that includes different races and different, you know, varieties of people, then I think it would be great to bring that in. I mean, for instance, you know, I don't know at the time, I, I assume... I don't, well, I mean, I don't know what the storylines would be, especially set in the Marvel Universe at that particular time, but I'm sure there's a way to do it, and if they, you know, if they were interested in that. Well, the thing is, I think what people are asking them to do is actually go and look into history, and because there were plenty of, I want to say it was, um, are they WACs? You know the 40s. Um, oh, uh, the, are you talking about the female, uh, like, volunteers and people who helped out yeah. with the, there, yeah. Yeah, there were, there were, there were black women. Oh, who yeah, absolutely. Worked in that, and there were, I'm, I'm trying to double check this real quick. I mean, I want to say that Rosie the Riveter was actually 
inspired by a black woman. And at least one of the inspirations was a black woman. And I mean, if you want to get into World War II, they had Navajo cold code talkers yeah there's all actually, kinds you know of what that's what that's one of the aspects that i would love to see brought in is um because that that played a big part in world war ii and you know afterwards what happened to them and what they they would have been right up the same alley as ssr so that's actually a really good point well i mean but but the idea being is you know on on one hand you could look at it and say why does every single guy in this office have to be white it still makes the same point about sexism to have people of different races although at the same time you know segregation was still you know kind of going on and i mean as somebody who lives in alabama i'm aware of that but i mean yeah. the point is you you have to look at his i know one of the what i thought was kind of a weaker argument was well it's the past so everybody was white i mean what they're asking oh, people God. to do <laughs> is dig deeper and say yeah, no but- there were people of color what were they doing you go figure it out and bring us those characters well and there's you know there are the thing is, is that, yes, there was still a lot of, obviously, a lot of, you know, race, racial issues and separation and things like that, and it might have been the case that the real reality of it was that in that particular office, maybe people, I don't, I actually, don't quote me on this because I haven't done the research, but maybe in a particular, you know, like, government secret spy organization office, they would have not been as diverse, like, she's the only woman, and they kind of took her in as a pity whatever because she knew Captain America, but, you know, like, if... If the show wants to incorporate the real feel of the 40s and have diversity, certainly they're in New York City, like Harlem. Go to Harlem, have a plot line going into Harlem. Or, as you said, the Native American code, code talkers and like the whole thing that happened with World War II and they were involved in that. What happened to them? They legitimately could be incorporated in, I know, into, into some sort of you know spy or code-breaking or whatever organization. I don't know the facts and the statistics on who was, you know, where in that in in 1946 in New York doing, you know, secret spy stuff, but I I I think you're definitely right that they could incorporate well, that and and at least they could incorporate uh different cultures into the fact that a lot of it takes place in New York City, which is a huge, you know, melting pot of people at that time as it is now and forever, you know, basically. Well, and it, it's just, to me, whenever I hear a creator say, well, you don't want us to do token characters, do you? What I hear is, I'm too lazy to think of a way to actually have this make sense. I guess that's what fans are asking for. Please make this effort to make it look like New York City in the 40s and to bring in, you know, to show us, here's what people like us were doing back in that i mean because the whole story is here's what a woman like peggy a woman like us today that we identify so closely with even though it's 70 years apart right here's what she was doing 70 years ago so it's like what about everybody else what were they doing 70 years ago i mean well now and i will say oh i'm sorry i didn't uh i will say that the howling commandos actually have more diversity which is interesting because obviously they're not you know they're not in new york but when they go and they they pull in the howling commandos for that one episode they do have uh, a black character and an asian character along with the and i think there's they they pulled in because it's like several different uh in the in the Captain America one, there was a French guy, and I think he I can't remember I can't remember if he was in the episode of Agent Carter too. I think so, but like you know, they pull in a couple of different nationalities as well as a couple of different races, and so that episode 
they have this kind of band of brothers who have different races and, and ethnicities and nationalities in the mix. But, yeah, that was one episode, and then they go away. You know, it's not in New York in the main action. But it is, But you know, I, I mean, there are some characters that were in the Captain America movies that were, you know, are diverse and everything, so... Well, and but generally, my my point originally was just it, it's an interesting conflict, internal conflict people have found themselves having, which is you know how do you advocate for something while still asking it to do better? Right, and and something else, and I I don't mean this. Uh, I hate to say stuff like this sometimes because I know someone's going to take it the wrong way, and so I have to be really careful about how I say it. I wouldn't want them to incorporate XYZ character in a way that upsets the balance of what's good about the show. And so it's like, I, I would love to see however many cool, different, diverse characters, but it has to fit into what they're doing and what they're planning and all of that. And I, yeah, I feel like if they, if they want to do that, they totally can. It's just, you know, can it be worked in in a natural way into what's already a really fun, interesting show that's making a lot of good points for at least, you know, some diversity, <laughs> and maybe they can work on more, you know? And I mean, I, I think the easiest way to do this, if they already have major storylines decided, is just background characters. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say, is it Kristen McHugh on Twitter? Uh, who points out that just the percentages in crowds on on so many shows, it's just overly white just looking at them as people as scenery. Like, if yeah. you just go ahead and just at least work on having it look like New York City, the background of people, the visual background, if that, that alone helps. But, like, well, right, if, yeah. if one of the women living at Peggy's, you know, lockdown um, boarding house. <laughs> if if one of them was black or Latina or yeah, well, and interestingly, so I mean, because I or two I of do, them even, my God, well, yeah, and I and I do I <laughs> more agree, than one. I agree with that point. It is interesting, and you didn't see this episode because it's it's either I think it's the most recent one or the or the second to most recent. It's one of the ones I watched today. Um, they, they have to go around and try to figure out uh, which of the women that Howard Stark has, you know, entertained, slept with, whatever he has done with them, um, is the Russian assassin woman. They don't realize that it's Dottie at the time, but they, they're trying to find her. And so they have this list of people. I, I, and, I, and I actually, I, I enjoy how they really don't give Howard Stark a lot of redeeming qualities in the arena of dealing with women it's, it's actually an echo of, um, and I'm, I'm, they probably didn't do it on purpose this way, and it's been in literature before, so it's not de- definitely from Smallville, but there's an episode of Smallville where it's revealed that Lex Luthor will sleep with a woman and then, like, send them diamond earrings or whatever afterwards when he never sees them again. So in this, like, Howard Stark gets this, like, special made bracelet that's, like, the Stark bracelet that he has at some frickin' jewelry store, and every woman that he then, like has the affair or whatever with, and then brushes off, gets one of these fucking bracelets, which is ridiculous and awful and offensive, and Howard Stark to a T. Um, and, and I love that they don't really give him any redeeming qualities there, because you know what? The, there were men like that, and there are still. Um, but anyway, so they're going around, and one of the women actually is Asian, um, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, they, don't, they show them for like 
five minutes, but I'm pretty sure that one of the women that is in that mix is, is not white, <laughs> um, whatever her nationality might have been for the five minutes she was on screen. But, um, so they, I think they're doing it some, but I understand, like, what the concern is, and it would be nice to have, you know, a couple of main characters that aren't just the Howling Commandos who we see for one episode and then they go away. That would be cool. So I'm, I'm for it if they, if they do it and can figure out how they would want to do it to make it work. I basically just wanted to bring that up because it seems unfair to ding Sleepy Hollow for that and then be like, oh, but your fave isn't problematic. You know, it's, yeah. it is a discussion people have been having. And which, which is interesting for me to kind of sit back and watch because I'm not caught up with the show. So, yeah. but, and it's, that, that's one of the conflicts of how do you advocate for something and critique it at the same time? Because it may be tempting for people to think, I, I don't have time in my life for this. I'm going to go find a show that reflects that me more and that I can see myself in if, you know, if there's not enough women in this, I, I just couldn't get into Breaking Bad. Like, me personally, I just was like, it's it's a bunch of dudes having anti-hero, <laughs> I never even, you know, I, I have watched Breaking Bad, but I... I watched but the I first season. Okay. I watched yeah. the entire first season. So it's not like I didn't give it a fair shot, and the, and my sister loves it. And mm-hmm. I, I watched the whole first season, binge, you know, binge-watched it, and got to the end and was like, I'm okay not continuing. And I'm sure people will jump in and tell me, well, it's the first season that wasn't really the great one. They were still working out the kinks. It's the next seasons that get to be the first or second best show of all time, depending on whether you're talking to a Wire fan or not. Yeah. But I was just thinking of the Wire because I watched two seasons and then I stopped because they killed off a character that, like, finally one of the characters had a sort of redeeming story arc and then they killed him and I was like, oh. And I, I think stopped. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that negates the interestingness of it and that I wouldn't watch more seasons eventually, but I just, I didn't want to watch it for a while. And I, yeah, I felt the same way. I was just like, I just am not into this enough right now. And the, the main, the main, main character, uh, McNulty or whatever his name is, he's, he's kind of abhorrent sometimes. He really just is. And I just, I don't know, For after a while, I know that it's, you know, it's really realistic and it's supposed to be, but sometimes I just didn't feel like watching it because it wasn't something I was interested in all the time. And I, I feel like I need to watch more Breaking Bad just because... Because otherwise, it's, it's the what you do. fans will kill you. Like the Wire fans are going to come after me now and be like, "But did you watch the episode in the third season?" I'll be like, "No, no, I did not." But that's—it's another part of this whole keeping up on everything thing. Even with stuff that I want to watch, it's always so—it's so funny when people are like, "Oh yeah, you know, did you see that?" And I'm like, "No." And then there's that look of like complete surprise because clearly I must have watched it because I'm a you know a comics fan or whatever kind of fan and I'm like no I didn't get to oh by the way I've still never seen all of Titanic and then their jaws like literally fall on the floor and I'm like what (laughs) no you're not missing anything well I've read read your I've read your movies in 15 minutes so I know what happens and it was I've seen that movie (laughs) no I've seen that movie more times than anybody else currently walking this planet I saw it so many times Time started moving backwards. <laughs> I was caught in a pocket universe where nothing but Celine Dion played. Oh, God. I would kill for myself. For, like, 
48 hours in real time, but it was eternity in there. He hearing that song so many times, I, that was the, it came out the year that I was in Germany uh, for, a, for a Hello Nerds high school band trip, and everywhere we went, we played like some German songs for them in honor of them being German, and they played or sang or both My Heart Will Go On. We heard opera versions, we heard orchestra, orchestra orchestral versions, we heard every version of that song, and I went back home and I thought, I will never ever want to see this movie. <laughs> that was what killed it for me, was hearing that song so many, it's not even a terrible song, but it's just like. I like Celine, oh, it's I not like even Celine, that. No, it was just, oh I just God. lost half our listeners right there. They're sitting here going, <laughs> you haven't finished Breaking Bad, you haven't seen The Wire, and you're okay with the existence of Celine Dion. Dude, Bye. I have never, never finished Titanic, and I stopped after two seasons of The Wire. I'm sorry, world. We, we apologize for our not caringness about this stuff. But that's part of the point. It's like, okay, so thousands of years of creative stuff is out there. And I grew up reading stuff that was published, you know, the same year and also ten years before and also a hundred years before I was born. And that's okay. Like, reading, and when I was growing up, and people weren't like, it wasn't like the internet was everywhere, and people weren't every, every day being like, have you seen the latest thing? Have you seen the newest thing? I was fine with the fact that I saw what I saw, or read what I read, and that was that. And if I found someone else who had actually, you know, grown up watching the reruns of Quantum Leap, in real life found that person, I was like, dude! We both love that show! Sam's the best! Yay, Al! And, and it was different, but now everybody's like, you know, everybody has seen everything. And I kind of, I kind of appreciate the diversity of not having seen everything. Because if we all had seen all the same things, we could talk about it for a while, and then we'd have, like, nothing to talk about. Because we'd seen every, it, you know, everyone, everyone would be the same, so. Uh, four, four years ago, uh, before we even had the complete explosion of TV shows, I heard something along the lines of there's 400 scripted TV shows right now. I mean, the mind, the mind boggles. I don't yeah. even know. Linda Holmes wrote an essay, and I'll, I'll have the link, called The Sad, Beautiful Fact that we're going to miss almost everything <laughs> well, about I mean, this phenomenon, essentially. That's, that's pretty much what I realized when I wrote that column for Comic Mix, I was like, that was why I wrote the column. I looked at this, I have a bookshelf full of books, you know, comics I've read and comics that I'm waiting to read because I got them because I know I want to read them. And I thought to myself, I could stay awake for a week and I will not be caught up on just the things that are physically in my apartment, not even counting Netflix, Hulu, Xfinity On Demand, whatever the heck I might have accidentally DVR'd because I still don't pay enough attention to my DVR. You know, like, all of that stuff. I could just watch the movies I own and have not seen on DVD or Blu-ray and read the books that I have in this apartment or comics that I that I haven't read yet and not reread anything, which I love rereading stuff, so that hampers my ability to read new stuff sometimes. And I would still, like, I could do it for a week and I would still not be done with the stuff in my apartment. And I sat there and I looked at my bookshelves and I thought, I am okay with this. I am done worrying about it. I am freaking done. I am okay with being the person who talks about the comic that came out two years ago. And I, I did a review of a, a comic that's really fun. It's really bad fun. It's like completely ridiculously wrong black humor, some of it, like Deadpool-esque, which is why I like it. And it's called Quantum and Woody, the worst superhero team. And, and I, I reviewed it. And I had gotten it, I think at the Harvey Awards a couple years ago, they give out, like, gift bags of stuff, and I think it was one of those. 
and I'd never read it, and I just pulled it off the shelf. I was like, I'm gonna read something, and I read I read this little like trade paperback fairy tale story that has an artist on it that I like and stuff like that. And I read it and I thought, oh my God, this is so derivative of fables. I don't even have the energy to write a whole column about how derivative it is of fables. So then I pulled out Quantum and Woody and I, I read it, the first trade, which is like four issues. And I was like, this is so much fun. I'm going to write a column. So I did. And in writing the column, I discovered that this book, which had like, I don't know, 12 issues about a year or two ago, is coming back. So I was like, I was totally topical and I didn't even know it. So it all comes back around and I'm not going to stress about the fact that I'm not, you know, always up on the latest thing because who can be in today's day and age? Not me. <laughs> well, it was like how ironically I had been watching Twin Peaks with uh, Lily Rose and uh, you may remember her from the, well, she's oh, yeah. been on, on my journal a lot. And uh, no, I, know, I was watching. I, mean, I know her from online. Yeah. Yeah, so she was the one who got me watching Twin Peaks. Uh, I'd always meant to, but she was like, no, you know, let's sit down and watch this. And the day I finished, I got to the finale on our first watch through on a Thursday night. Friday morning, there's the cryptic tweets about how that gum you like is going to come back in style. Right. Like they basically announced that the new Twin Peaks was going to happen about 12 hours after I finished watching it and everybody else had to wait 25 years. I, remember, I felt no, terrible. I remember, that. I remember that. You were like, <laughs> dude, that was perfect timing. Well, you didn't say dude because I say dude, but you know, you were well, like I, perfect I timing. It all the time. <laughs> no, okay, well, and I, I had to text Lily Rose at, at her work and I was like, it's coming back. They're, she started crying. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's what it was like. You know, to be a fan who had waited, thinking it would never come back, but maybe for 25 years. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. We just, it was 12 hours for me. I'm right. sorry. <laughs> but uh, we probably need to keep moving through some of the. Oh, yeah. Well, you, okay. So speaking of TV, uh, wonderfully, you know, great, gracious, uh, or no, uh, graceful segue. Uh, speaking of TV, you you had some Hannibal stuff you wanted to talk about. And I love Hannibal, but I you know more of the latest news than I do. So. Yeah, I keep up with, uh, well, I have a whole Twitter list that I, I keep up with the news on. But I have hiatus updates over at Storify.com slash Cleolinda. And so for each month, I just stash away all tweets and some Tumblr posts and any article or anything that kind of has something to do with it. So you can go back and read, you know, this massive list of stuff while we're all waiting for the hiatus to stop. So in the January and February posts, uh, there's a trailer out for season three. They spent December filming in Florence, actual Florence. I'm oh so excited. I'm so I can't jealous. believe it's real. Oh my God. It's really happening. A awesome. uh, lot of set pictures. There's a motorcycle, uh, a lot of leather. There's. Uh, it's coming out this summer. Speaking it of Fifty is... Shades. Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Gravy. <laughs> so, okay, it's it's not coming back till the summer, which means they'll have time. They're not going to have to rush it. I am reliably informed that it will still be airing if we if you and I go to Dragon Con. It will be airing that Friday night. I'm gonna have to do something. Oh I don't. God, I don't know. We'll, we'll do a watch party or something. Well, oh. uh, Freddie and I were talking about possibly, like, getting a room for that or something. So when I talk yes. to planning type people, 
if we go ahead and do that, I'm going to see if I can put in a request for something like that and get it on the schedule. Anyway, totally that's, I'm that's totally, inside I'm baseball. <laughs> should talk about that. I'm going to see what I can do. Yeah. Um, they had a ton of casting because the second half of the season is the Red Dragon material, which I think may continue into season four. We're not sure. Uh, Richard Armitage is going to be Dollarhide. That's a huge. I can't even believe. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's uh, awesome. He he's on Twitter. He was already active on Twitter. He went to the Brooklyn Museum to go visit the Red Dragon paintings, took pictures of them. Oh my god. Send them to Brian with yum, yum, yum. I mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, oh, and speaking of Twitter, I saw that um, the food, what's her name? The food stylist? Janice. Janice Poon, Janice right? Poon. Is now on, is it P-O-O-N or P-O-O-N-S? P-O-O-N. It's, okay. uh, yeah, she's on Twitter now. I just added her. I was like, at, yay! At Feeding Hannibal. At yes. Feeding Hannibal, yeah. Yes. I was, I, I love you, Janice. I was so excited that she actually, you know, actually is on now. I know. They, I, it came up on my Twitter thing, and I was like, oh, follow, follow. <laughs> I have that in my list of, like, things to run down. Uh, so we got that. Yeah. Uh, they're cast, they've cast Reba. It's going to be Rutina Wesley from, she was Tara on True Blood. Oh, she's amazing. I love I her love, on that. Oh, I love her. So, she's so good. So that's exciting. That's, that's, that's awesome. Reba. Uh, Will, spoiler, Will's wife, Molly, because this is in the Red Dragon premise. I mean, right. that he's married and has a stepson at that point. Uh, Nina Arianda, who was with Hugh Dancy in Venus and Fur on Broadway. So they already have oh. a pre-existing working relationship to kind of build the screen marriage off of. I like that. You know, that's that we... Cool. That's you, you know what I like is the fact that you know all this stuff, because I never do. So, <laughs> that's why we make a I good read, team. <laughs> I read the first three sentences of articles. It's You read it's the good. lead. It's good. It's good. They've recast Mason. Oh, oh yeah, I knew it's, about that. Who's the yeah. they, who's the new one? Joe Anderson. Uh, I'm not terribly right. familiar with him, but they have shown us what the new makeup looks like—the faceless makeup. It's in the store. If I post, I've got pictures. Okay. So December is a little bit of November. November's very short. I was out of commission for a lot of November, but a lot of the set pictures are in December. A lot of the casting news is in January. More recent stuff, I think maybe also the new trailer is in the February store if I post. Okay. We'll have we'll, links to we'll that. We'll link all that, yeah. I'm, I'm making a list. <laughs> Checking it twice. <laughs> oh, and they've, I forgot, they also cast Cordell, who's going to be more of a villain. They got Glenn Fleshler, who was the creepy guy in True Detective. This is apparently, this is a life, this is a career choice at this point. This is a <laughs> channel we're going down. I'm scared. And oh, Rollins. Like, um... Oh, who's the one who played Teabag in Prison Break? He always plays the, uh, uh Robert, what's his, what's his last name? My mom. Uh, Nepper. Robert Nepper. He always plays those creepy characters. My mom loved that show. I don't know that she loved him. But she, I, my mom loved Prison Break. I love that show, too. Yeah, he's a creepy-ass motherfucker, but, uh, they, no, I love that show, so. <laughs> and yesterday, or the other day, uh, Rollis Barza was saying that Chilton will have a very Cronenberg-esque facial scar from being shot that's not a word you drop lightly i'm worried now <laughs> but i do i love roll as far as uh, he oh uh, he's so good as children and he was really fun to interview so <laughs> which actually that's i should mention um yeah i interviewed a lot of the cast and stuff i'll put up my comic fix uh youtube channel because it has a whole lot of interviews that i've done over the last few years with uh 
cast members and voice actors and stuff like that. But yeah, he was Dana, a fun interview. Dana's going to drown in all of these links when she does the show notes. <laughs> Welcome to our podcasting She's, style. She, yeah, you don't put the link spam queen on your podcast and not be prepared for this. Yep. Um, oh my god, very, we're going to be like the new TV tropes. It's like, oh, pack a lunch. <laughs> oh dear. Bring a rope. So, yeah. very briefly, I also watched The Fall. I had watched the first season with Lily Rose last year, and so we we watched it this year when it came out. Uh, eight episodes. Okay, it's, so uh, I have no idea what that is, so tell me. It's Gillian Anderson is an English police inspector who has to go over to Northern Ireland to help investigate a serial killer case, and Jamie Dornan, Jamie Christian Gray Dornan, <laughs> is is the serial killer and he's really great and horrible and terrifying Ah. and it's super disturbing but it's incredibly feminist like the Gillian Anderson character Stella Stella is my spiritual advisor Stella is amazing (laughs) she will just sit there and she she will just sit there and lay down some real talk about how women are treated and how victims are treated and at one point she drops the margaret atwood quote about how men are afraid women will laugh at them and women are afraid men will kill them ah. like this is like every single episode this is kind of the lens through which all of this is viewed but at the same time it's very graphic in the sense of you you're having to watch jamie dornan stalk these women oh grab them, tie them up, watch, but it, it's the kind of, sh- watch <laughs> oh them goodness. scream. Oh my gosh, sorry. Well, that's, we're about to get to that. I the know. thing is, it, it's kind of everything they promised not to show on Hannibal, mm-hmm. but I think there's a reason for that. I wow. think it's, you know, if we're going to watch this kind of thriller, let's actually make you sit and watch it. Let's actually, it's not yeah. fun. It's really disturbing. It's, it's not... It's not really entertainmentized. But that actually makes me want to watch the show. So I just really hadn't heard of it before because, yeah, like, can't, it's like, on it's our recurring theme. Netflix. You can't. Okay, it's on Netflix. So yeah, it's our recurring Netflix. theme. No. You you can't be on. Uh, you know, caught up on everything. But that makes me want to watch it because I think you know if you're gonna do a show about something like that, own it. You know, own that kind of like that's what it's you know really like, or at least in some situations. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. The- I think the release dates of the show kind of line up with the idea that Brian Fuller really liked Gillian Anderson on this show, and there's a touch of Stella in Bedelia. Okay. Like, I think on purpose, Bedelia was written after Stella, and there's a little bit of that in there. At the same time, you know, I thought it was just hysterically funny and ironic that just, they just happened to pick a Christian Grey who was also on screen as a serial killer, and then, and then, no, no, and then I read two days ago, yesterday, that E.L. James ended up picking Jamie Dornan after her first two or three, you know, Charlie Hunnam Uh pieced out. She admired his work in the fall. She knew. She said, this guy. Oh, it's this guy. This serial killer guy, this is Christian Grey. Let's go for it. Oh, everything I learned about Fifty Shades of Grey and peripheral things to do with it, it just disturbs me more and more and more. But I have to, okay, so I have to make a a 
terrible segue joke because uh, when you told me where the fall takes place and it was like Northern Ireland and all this or Ireland or whatever and I was like is it Northern Ireland. Ireland Northern Ireland I was like does it have 50 shades of accents because that was terrible but there's a video online of um, him uh, reading it him, no he, yeah he's doing the accents it's lines it's on YouTube it's lines of uh, from the from the book on one of the talk shows is it Jimmy Kimmel maybe and he's I think doing, it's Jimmy Fallon Jimmy Fallon that's who it is I uh, yeah Jimmy Fallon, and they're doing lines from it in all these different accents, and it is an absolute riot. I, I'll, we'll link it because it's so funny. But that's the first thing I thought of when you said, like, they have to travel from here to there, and I was like, oh, my God. All the I think Jamie Dornan actually is from Belfast. I thought it was an accent he had to learn, but no, I, someone was saying it actually is his real accent on the fall. Okay. So it, it's very much Gillian Anderson is the one character who has an English accent. It's it's actually pretty thoroughly Irish accents going on, but cool. I I just wow. I mean that they thought it was going to make sixty million dollars, um, Fifty Shades, the first weekend, and it made eighty. Oh my so god! It's, Why? But, <laughs> but then, well, no. Then they're sitting there talking about how Universal won't even commit to making the sequels and the screenwriter didn't even want to promote it and she doesn't want to come back and the director she doesn't want to come back and E.L. James wants more control and she wants to write the script herself for the next <laughs> one and that's going to take extra time. You know what's and so great is it's like look Fifty Shades, if, if anybody in this universe doesn't know, Fifty Shades started out as Twilight fanfic. And with Twilight, there was all this stuff about, like, Stephanie Meyer on, on set being annoying and being a pain in the ass. And, like, the not even thinly veiled, like, Robert Pattinson comments about Stephanie Meyer and whatever. And now we've got E.L. James, and she's, like, Stephanie Meyer 2.0. It's hilarious. <laughs> I honestly did not appreciate Stephanie Meyer's professionalism <laughs> until now. She played nice with other children. She got along. She accepted changes. That's She's like, a movie producer on her own now. Like, I didn't think that, it could get worse. That, and yet why, somehow it did. That's why she was allowed to have nice things in the form of extra movies. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things, right. E.L. James. No, but, like, apparently in the time they're going to have to take for her, who, for E.L. James, who's never written a script before. I was reading this. It's going to take extra time. And that extra time, Jamie Dornan's contract is going to run out. And he's going he's gonna to be able to get out of it. I, I kind of hope he does just totally peace out and be like, I do not want to. That's yeah. unsubstantiated, you know, <laughs> gossip. <laughs> but apparently that clause is in there. Wow. And the thing is, they're even, I mean, Universal hasn't, Universal hasn't even said okay, we're going to go ahead. Like, they're they're willing to just set that potential money on fire, walk away, and not look back because she has been such a pill. They had screaming matches with the director. She, she and the director fought every single day. Like, this is in an article on the Hollywood Reporter site called Fifty Shades of Cray. Oh, I need to read that. We'll, we'll have it, to find that one and link it because... The director... What? has publicly spoken about this. This is not gossip. This is, she has said this every single day. And like the only person who could talk E.L. James down was Stacy Snyder, the head of Universal. And here's the thing. 
the screenwriter, the director, the studio head, these are all women. So it's not like E.L. James is like fighting the patriarchy for what she believes in. Right. It's just, these are all women. Oh my god. You know, I, I have to say, if we have recordings of Christian Bale losing his shit on the set, I really think we need recordings of E.L. James losing her shit on the set, because I think they would be entertainment for years to come. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but I just, I, I think it is refreshing that finally someone's completely ridiculous controlling behavior is going to mean that they can't have nice things because no matter how much money they make, it's just not worth it. I, you know what? I, that, that kind of, if, if that's the case, if, if they really do like pull the plug, that makes me warm and happy in a little happy place in my heart. I'm, I'm <laughs> beyond evil, judging anybody. <laughs> I'm beyond judging anybody for enjoying these books. Like, I, I took the Twilight Bullet. I get it. You know, you, you get out of these books whatever you get out of them. Yeah. You know, people aren't entirely... But, I mean, but they're so, like... Stupid, I, so, but... well, well, what interests me about... Uh, so, yeah, the Fifty Shades, I've, like... I haven't... I've confessed right now, I don't ever want to read those books. I think uh, Kaylee sent me, like, a long time ago the E version of them and was like, I, you know, here you go. Like, as a, you know, as a haha, here you go. And I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll... And I never read it, and I never... I, I didn't read the Twilight books. I read your recaps. I'm okay with that. But um, I will say that the interesting thing to me is that the BDSM community is disowning it at such a rapid rate that everybody that I have seen talking about it who's a part of... Who's, who's you know, uh, owning being a part of that community is disowning the idea of Fifty Shades as a reality or a realistic portrayal of people in that community. And it's like, everybody is saying like, this is abuse and stalkerism and whatever else. I don't even stalkerism. Is that a word? Whatever. You know, it's abuse and it's terrible. And it's you totally cannot... cromulent. Yeah, it's oh, exactly. It's totally cromulent. Um, so it's really interesting to me that like, even like there's a community of people who in real life might enjoy like, you know, certain aspects of what they're showing and those people are like no this is not what we want to see now maybe maybe not everybody but the people i've seen talking about it that's what they're saying and i'm like okay well it was like mara wilson said you know i don't have you know she has billions of dollars but i was able to read the wikipedia article on it like <laughs> i still did more than she did there's a whole feud in there that was hysterical i'll have to get the link to that yeah. but I, I feel bad because it's, you know, on a certain level, I don't want to sit here and root against women. I hate that. I hate that I'm sitting here rooting for this to fail, which is kind of why on a certain level it relieves me that these are women also that are, she's having these fights with. So it isn't like you have to root for her against the male patriarchy. It's like, no, she can't play nice with other people. Well, I, I never even thought about that. My, I guess my aspect is just I hate bad I've, I've read enough of Fifty Shades I've read the first little bit and I hate I hate bad writing I hated bad writing in Twilight I hate it in Fifty Shades it should not be published and I hate when it gets made into big things and people you know make a lot of money off of it because as a society what we're saying is hey we will eat your crap basically it's I hate that and I don't care who's doing it so I never even thought about it as like oh is it like men in the studio that are giving her problems I was just thinking well that doesn't surprise me at all given what she produced no I mean I just I, I think I enjoy watching people reap the rewards of their actions. I, I enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, I think that, 
you know what? I think that's what I was trying to get into is that it's, I, no matter where it came out of, it's crappy writing. <laughs> it's I haven't crappy behavior, and it shouldn't be rewarded. My sister enjoyed it. I I can't I can't bring myself to read it. So I watched Mark read several chapters oh, aloud, no. and I I had warned him. I said, "There's there's something you're not prepared for yet." I said, "You'll know it when you get there." And he was just like, but, but what, but what is it? I said, no, no, you're not there yet. You haven't read it yet because when you get there, you'll know. So he gets to the tampon chapter and it's like, Cleo, I found the thing. I am a broken man. Like I, I had to listen to him read this. And so I, I listened to him read three or four chapters and that's what he does on the Mark does stuff videos. He just literally sits down and reads the entire chapter and I was shocked how boring I found it. It was just this incredibly minute, you know, and and then she unbuttoned, you know, I unbuttoned my coat and took off my coat and unbuttoned the top button of my blouse and hung the coat on the back of my chair and then sat down and looked at the drinks menu. Like, it's not <laughs> even, it's not even just like the undressing. It's also the undressing. But it's like every single action is described at the tiniest level and i was just like oh my god just move faster i can't handle this so you know then you get to the really embarrassing stuff and you also have to you know hear this in in slow motion practically so we didn't see that movie we're not gonna see that movie what'd you go see recently well since you mentioned it so I, I actually saw Kingsman the Secret Service, um, which uh, is it's based on, uh, and I, I always, I think it's pronounced Mark Miller, even though it's spelled Millar, and I always pronounce it wrong the first time because I just see it in my head with the A, but uh, Mark Miller, it's based on the Secret Service, which is a comic series by uh, Mark Miller, and he's the same guy who did Kick-Ass, also a comic into a movie, and it was interesting to me, I would have to say if I was going to nutshell Kingsman, it is, uh, like, spy... It's a sending up of spy movies that is a lot of fun, fairly ridiculous and over-the-top. The violence is amazingly ridiculous and over-the-top. They know it. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays a hilarious character who's also the bad guy. And the whole movie, I would say, is a ton of fun in the sense of there's action, there's excitement, there's some good plot, there's some interesting, you know, characters and stuff like that. It's also, I mean, it's so over the top on purpose that it even, like, it comes around again, and it's and most of that is fun. And there's a scene uh, towards the end of the movie that, I, I, do I want to spoil it? I don't want to spoil it because it's really funny, but there's a scene where it literally turns into cartoon violence. Like, I mean, there's several scenes that are similar to that, but there are scenes where it literally is just, like, real like live action cartoon violence and um and i'm not talking about the scene in the other play oh god i can't spoil anything all right i'm not talking about the scene in the church tiny spoiler which is amazing and one of the coolest action scenes i've seen in a while fight scenes i've seen in a while but um but there's a scene later that's just it is it's a cartoon and or or a comic in in real life format and uh i think the thing that i so i liked it i had fun but the thing that i didn't like about it was that kind of like kick-ass um there's not a lot of heart in it 
And and that like so there's you know the main character Eggsy and he's a young like a young man and his father was in the Kingsman. I'm not gonna this is not really spoilers, but his father was in the Kingsman and the Colin Firth character was you know knew his father and so like he recruits him when he's older to be a potential Kingsman and. There's some good relationship stuff with him and Harry, the Colin Firth character, and, you know, you're rooting for him. There's that. You're rooting for him. You want them to, to, to win, to, to win the day, to, you know, come out on top. But I personally did not get emotionally involved in this movie at all. And, you know, maybe that's just the kind of movie it is because Kick-Ass was very much the same way and maybe that's just what Mark Miller chooses to write and, and how, or, or maybe it's just what his creations are. But it was one of those movies where I'm like, I'd watch it once, I might watch it twice, that would probably be, probably be it. And it, it wouldn't, it didn't move me to anything except for, you know, some, some laughing, basically. So, as far I as I know, these are all Matthew Vaughn movies as well. I believe he directed all of these movies. I think you're right about that. I know he did this one. I Did he do Kick-Ass 2? Um, I, I, I believe he did so. both the Kick-Ass movies. I, okay. There may be something about that, having the director in common as well. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think writer? Also, yeah, I think it has to do with... Um, Screenwriter. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. To, I think it has to do with the source material too, really. Um, but I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I just... It, it's an interesting thing to observe that there's this movie that, you know, it's fun and it's, it's, it's goofy and it's over the top and it's also got eh, some serious stuff in it, you know, like there's abuse and stuff like that and it's, it's kind of in the middle of all this other ultra-violence and everything. And I guess in the end, I just, it was fun that I didn't take a lot away from, I guess is what, I, what I'm thinking. And Kick-Ass, like, looking back on Kick-Ass, I enjoyed Kick-Ass a lot in the theater. And thinking back to it, I'm like, okay, so what did I really like about that movie? Hit-Girl was cool. You know, that's, that's pretty much it. Whereas I can, I can pull up movies I've seen that are, you know, like, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh my gosh, the character development of this person or this was really amazing or that was... And I mean, you know, there are movies that are violent comedy movies, and, and this was this is one of them, and maybe that's not what you're looking for in that kind of movie. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting feeling I took away from it, I guess, you know. But that's, I think that's, that's most of it. That's most of my thoughts on this. <laughs> I, I saw Jupiter Ascending. That's the first movie I've seen in a while, and... I, I just kept hearing advanced reports that it was completely, completely crazy pants. It just completely wackadoo. I've, I've heard that too. And and it was. And <laughs> I, I I can't remember how I described it at the time. Um, Mila Kunis is the Russian immigrant janitor princess of space. <laughs> no, technically I think she's queen of space. Because the other characters are her children... And Eddie Redmayne is her son, and they are liquidating planets for vital life serum fluid that okay. they have hot tubs full of. No, no. And they send out someone to kill her because she is the reincarnated genetic occurrence of their mother. And so if she finds out who she is she's going to realize that she owns the earth and they can't liquidate it. So they want her killed and she has no idea that this is going on. She's a janitor in 
probably New York, maybe. No, Chicago. She's a janitor in Chicago. Wow. James Darcy is her father and is killed in the first three minutes of the movie. That's where James Darcy comes in. Aww. And so uh, Channing Tatum is a winged, but he's had his wings cut off, wolf. Oh, a what? Half, half albino, <laughs> genetically wolfy, X. I don't know if he was more of a space marine or a space cop. I think it was more of a space marine. Uh, can, can I can I share with you right now? I'm listening to this description with this like, I don't know, like enamored grin on my face, thinking, I feel like this is going to be the next movie that I live tweet while drinking a lot of wine, kind of like Equilibrium. A <laughs> little bit. Uh, most of the time. <laughs> He's yeah. not wearing a shirt for no oh, reason. He doesn't have cool. a shirt for, for like no reason. Yes, yeah, James. Uh-huh. Oh, I forgot. He is on blaster roller skates, blades. Like in in real life, they strapped roller blades onto Channing Tatum and then photoshopped them out, oh CGI'd them out. So he's he's like legit speed skating, like through the air because he has his blaster skates to go save. Mila Kunis. So he's also kind of like a bounty hunter, kind of. And he he takes her after they're being chased by multiple sets of assassins. Uh, he takes her to Sean Bean, oh, who is part B. So he is Sean B. <laughs> he is Sean B. His daughter has the space tuberculosis. And so that renders him you know, vulnerable to blackmail and whatever. And so that's a plot point. And so they go to his house and he raises, you know, hives of bees. He has all these bees and they all swarm up around Mila Kunis and they won't sting her, but they're just swarming around her like magical lights. And he drops down to one knee and he's like, your majesty. And she's like, what? And he's like, you are a space queen. (laughs) The bees know the bees would never lie. Bees oh don't God. lie. Bees would never. You know, I I have to say. Bees don't lie. When you said he was part B, I my immediate thought was, does he sting someone and die in this movie? Because he's gonna die, right? I mean, he doesn't die. He, he doesn't, doesn't die. die. He okay, doesn't I, die. Spoiler I, alert. Major spoiler that, alert. There's a, a picture of him on set holding up a sign that said, "Please don't kill me." <laughs> like he doesn't die. Major spoiler alert. So so then so Mila Kunis is in space and. Her son tries to marry her because he tries to convince her. It's just, no, no, it's totally fine. We won't actually, I mean, whatever, but I won't, you, you can save the earth from being liquidated if, and he's going to immediately murder her. Like he makes it super clear. He's going to immediately murder her. And so Channing Tatum has to blast in on his space skates and, and save her. I mean, that's like halfway through the movie. Like that's not even the final boss of the movie. Like it's just the, at one point her spaceship is piloted by an elephant. Like it's just that kind of movie. Wow. That's um... an elephant dude. Like somebody said, no, you mean like a full, like a, a giant elephant. I'm like, no, no, it was like a dude shaped elephant. He was like sitting in a chair. Like, <laughs> It was just, I think some of the people were robots. Someone was part deer. (laughs) Okay, okay. Can we make a deal 
that when we next get together on a staycation or at Dragon Con or whatever, we watch this movie with a bottle of wine and live tweet it. Because I, and like, like what we biggest, watched Prometheus, I really want to watch this with you because it would just be so much fun. The biggest cookies we can find. Yes! The, the big, biggest cookies we can lay hands on. Size cookies. Those were amazing cookies. They were I'll, I'll bring some with me if I have to. The biggest cookies we can <laughs> we find. We have to do this. Oh so, my, my, my segue from this is Eddie Redmayne plays the eldest son, and and he's he, in the theory of everything. He is, and uh. he he is like the best or worst thing in this movie, and clearly knows what kind of movie he's in. He may be the only person who fully understands what movie he's in. Oh the movie he's in is some strange genetic recurrence hybrid of. The first Star Wars sequel and Dune and maybe some Crawl and what was the other five movies mixed into this? Uh, uh, I don't know. Dune, most importantly, Dune and Star Wars, most importantly. Um, what was his name? Balem Abraxas? Like, it's just, it's the most Dune thing I've ever heard in my life. It's. And and he is whispering very hoarsely until he starts screaming, and it's it's that kind of performance. Wow. So it it's coming down to the wire, but it looks like he's probably going to win the Oscar. Michael wow. Keaton might come back up and and you know resurge at the last moment. So and I I sent you the Oscar my pick. I, I actually yeah I did look through it, and I have to confess my main thing about the Oscars is that I haven't seen most of these freaking movies although i do want to see some of them but I, I haven't seen most of them but i haven't seen most of them and i'm supremely uninterested in this year but lightning round cool. uh from what i've heard patricia arquette for boyhood for supporting probably jk simmons for whiplash for supporting uh oh. i'm hoping for julianne moore for best actress she's been winning everything i'm i love julianne moore i'm very happy for her i, I like julianne moore i do um actor I mean, we've got Cumberbatch in there, and we've got you know Bradley Cooper for American Sniper, which just dominated the box office for some reason because um, everything's yeah. terrible. It did for like three or four weeks. It was huh. it, everything is terrible. Um, for a long time, it looked like Michael Keaton was going to be best actor. Eddie Redmayne is what it's been for a while. The prediction: yeah. Michael Keaton might sneak up. He won the Independent Spirit Award about an hour ago. I saw on Twitter. So. Oh. So who knows? Best picture? It's between Birdman or Boyhood. At this point, I think it might be Birdman, but I think they might give director to Richard Linklater for Boyhood for the achievement of the 12 years of filming. And that's kind of how I think it's going to fall out. I don't know. That, you know, I'll, I, I have to say, instead of me reading my predictions, which are pretty much all over the place and I have no freaking clue, basically... I will, let's just, let me just at least say, of the best pictures, I only have seen one. I saw the Grand Budapest Hotel. Have you seen that? Or any of the other I got, ones? Or? I got the DVD. They had, like, a major sale, and I got it for super cheap and haven't sat down and watched it yet, because as we have talked about, it is very hard to make time for things. I know, it is. Well, I have to say, um, it's a, it's a weird-ass movie. It is. It's, it's, you know, it's like, it's. Uh, it is what it is, and it's 
I love the visuals are really great. The cast is amazing because it's all famous, you know, amazing actors and actresses and whatever. Mostly actors, I think. But how many? There's not as many women in that movie. Um, the visuals are really cool. But the whole thing is kind of like like one of the main characters uh, or one of the characters that has a main plot line or whatever is a is a pastry chef or whatever. It's like the the woman that one of the marries or whatever. And the whole thing to me is like kind of like an overwrought pastry I feel like a, a ridiculously fancy wedding cake that's all sweet and crazy and not all sweet like it's all wonderful but just like I don't even know how to describe sugary? that movie Sh- not sugary it's not like bad things happen but it's so ridiculous and unrealistic it's a completely different kind of over the top ridiculous than Kingsman because Kingsman had all the crazy like violent action scenes and whatever and Grand Budapest Hotel had stuff like, you know, the two main guy characters, like, cartoonishly running across the snow to escape from the people who are supposed to arrest them and then going down a ski slope. And, like, it's just all this crazy shit that happens in the movie. And it just goes, like, and, like, you know, boom, boom, boom through the whole movie. And when it ended, I basically was like, I feel like somebody's whole life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> like, it was so... And I mean, maybe that's the point, that it was interesting and fun to see, but... Again, like, I, I don't know, like, certain movies where everybody says... And this is again, this is part of the whole keeping up with everything, or, or if we were all the same. There are cer- certain movies where people are like, oh my god, it was so great, and I'm like... It was okay, you know? <laughs> so that's how I kind of felt about it. I mean, it was fun, but... I think I what know. you're sensing is the Wes Anderson factor... Uh, yeah, probably, probably. I've, I've, yeah, it might be the case. Well, what do you, I mean, what do you think about all, like, the Wes Anderson thing and the, do you think that's just how all his movies tend to be, or? I, I think that's kind of his style, which, at a certain level, I, I kind of respect the consistency of it. I mean, uh-huh. it, it can get a little twee. I remember yeah. sitting in the Life Aquatic, and, like, there was no one moment when I was not entertained, but there was a point when I just was kind of like, what? What am I watching exactly? <laughs> what just how I felt about a lot of that. Movie, what just yeah, happened? Yeah, but in a completely different way from Jupiter Ascending, like a complete because that's just so over the top and silly. Whereas Wes Anderson seems to kind of have the mm, the uh, surrealness, for lack of a better word, of a more mundane level of life. Yeah. And just to make everyday life kind of twee and colorful and okay, yeah, fantasy-like somehow. It definitely is the Wes Anderson thing then, because that, yes, you are, you are saying some of, at least some of what I felt about that movie, about Grand Budapest Hotel. It, that's, it must be. It must just be how he is. And interestingly, I read, um, you know, after I saw it, I read some, like, stuff about it because I was like what just happened here what did I just watch and <laughs> and so some people were saying like this is like I, I don't remember what exactly they said but the essentially like this is the most developed of his films and I was like huh because I never saw what was oh. it, the life aquatic or something I never saw I don't think I've seen a lot of his other films or if I have what else has he done the royal tenenbaums oh yeah that's a weird Mr. movie Fox. too I haven't seen that I did see I like the royal tenenbaums uh to an extent and again sat there kind of going this family is so disjointed and weird that it's not even, like, a weird, a real weird family. It's, like, an extreme weird... Fa- yeah, it's like he j- he does. He kind of makes everything mundane but fantasy-like at the same time. Yeah. I think that's completely what 
I don't know how to why I think it's a fairy tale quality exactly. Uh-huh. But that is kind of the only phrase I can think of to describe it. I no, don't I, know why. I think I think you're yeah, I mean I think I don't think it's inaccurate or at least if not if not just like fairy tale then like you know what? It, honestly, like when I was saying sweet before, it's not because the movie is sweet. It's because it reminded me of a giant confection. Just like all these little bits put together into this fancy, fancy thing that was consumable and sort of delicious to watch, but also weird as hell. And and just... And the hotel itself looks like a pastry. And then they, they actually, you know, it's referenced by the fact that the boxes that they sell the pastries in that are part of the plot point are the same color, I think, as the hotel, if I'm remembering correctly, and, like, the trucks and everything. So, I think I mean, what I've seen, they are, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, self-referential, and I, I feel like, you know, he knows what he's doing with it, and, and yet that's all he's doing with it, which is kind of the part that makes me not like the movies as much, is that if that's what he wants to do with his movies, great, but it's not... I don't know, there's a little bit of substance missing there that I that I like more in my movies I guess I don't know <laughs> so anyway but yeah so out of all the Oscar movies um so I've seen that one and then I would have to say the only other like thing I even have commentary on is um when we get down to like uh let me see where is it the um the graphic stuff with I thought oh visual effects I thought it was so much fun that that three of the uh, of the the movies for visual effects are Marvel properties oh yeah yeah it's Captain America Winter Soldier Guardians of the Galaxy and X Men Days of Future Past are all in there and I I actually you know because because uh, beforehand listeners Cleo was like here here's this website it makes it really easy to see who's up and what you might want to pick and I did go through and just basically like. It's kind of like when I do March Madness, I'm like, oh, I like the name of that school. I heard they were good another year, you know? Like, <laughs> that's pretty much how I do my March Madness brackets, just for kicks, you know? Because I'm not really, like, it's fun to be part of it, but I'm not, you know, intensely into it. So I kind of went through and I was clicking, and I got to the visual effects category, and I really actually had to sit there and go, for these movies, who had, out of the three Marvel movies, because those are the ones I've seen, who had the best effects? And I think I landed on Guardians of the Galaxy. I think they had some really cool effects, especially with the um, when they're all joining hands and they're, well, I don't want to uh, everybody's seen this. Everybody should see this. Go out and see Guardians of the Galaxy. It's freaking amazing. I um, haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh my god, it's freaking amazing. No, it's so much fun and it's so, I've, I've can spoil it. it. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm not going to spoil a lot of it. I'm just saying I've watched it twice already, and uh, I would watch it again and again, and also again, and probably again. It's just a lot of fun, and it is, it's one of those things that Marvel was able to take this property that probably not that many people had read. I've read a few Guardians of the Galaxy comics, but a lot of people are not as familiar, even if they're comics readers, they're not the most mainstream characters in Marvel, and so... Like, I kind of feel, and I'm going to make an analogy to Deadpool because that's what I do. Um, you know, when Deadpool started, you know, being written as a regular series back in the 90s, I think that they were able to kind of have more fun with it because he wasn't a big-time character and people... Not that I'm sure the editors cared what was going on, but because he wasn't tied into the larger universe in the same way that, you know, a lot of, like, Wolverine for years or, like, Captain America. Like, they could, you know, he could be you know, being kind of zany and crazy and having the fun and, and everything. 
And that's what made him the character he is. And I think with Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie, they were able to just kind of take some chances with kind of having a lot of fun with it. And it shows in the movie. I just, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I, mean, I would the... say, oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, the thing I, I will say about the Marvel movies is that they have had, they've done a good job of adopting different tones and even genres. Oh. Whereas DC is still kind of struggling with the warmed over Christopher Nolan. I, I love the Dark Knight. I love it. But it's time oh, to let the Dark Knight go. It's yes. time to let it go. Oh, and it's time not to be quite so grim in our superhero movies. I oh god, I could go on about Man of Steel, Man of Steel. for I remember ages. that. I I'll 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 link my comic mix piece on it because it says a lot of the stuff that I would say anyway, but the the short version um well, I had two major beefs with that. One of them is that Lois, I'm just going to spoil it. Look, I'm going to spoil Man of Steel because it's not worth going to see. Um, <laughs> except for shirtless Henry Cavill walking through the fire. Oh, that was great. So um, I, part of it is that Lois knows he's Superman almost from the very beginning, which chops out a lot of what makes Superman Clark Kent an interesting character because what Lois's character does for the adult Clark Kent is kind of like what his parents did for him growing up, which is grounds him as a human, um, as, as a, you know, trying to be human. Um, because if you are basically a god and you can do whatever, you know, the thing is, and even if you were raised by good parents who, you know, taught you responsibility and everything, as an adult, you're out there on your own, you're doing your god thing, you're saving the day, and... Then you have this woman who you, like, totally love, or at least in the beginning, you know, are interested in and then grow to love or whatever, and she just sees you as this dude on the street, and you have to be good as a, just a dude on the street. You have to be a good human being so that she'll like you as a human being, and it keeps him, it keeps the character grounded in a way that, you know, just trying to fool your coworkers doesn't. Like, okay, so, you know, Steve Lombard or whatever in sports doesn't, you know, doesn't know who I am and I can't let him know and that's, that's, okay, I have to sneakily do this, fine. But if you have to convince this other human being that maybe they want to spend their life with you as you, not as the god, that's a lot harder and that's what makes Superman not just a god that we're all bored with reading about because he can do literally anything, pretty much. And so they did that and that pissed me off royally because why at the beginning of a new series of these movies, at a reboot series of these movies, why would you do that? You, you don't understand Superman if you do that. And the other thing is that, I mean, and there was all this over-the-top violence and he killed General Zod and that's against Superman too and whatever. That pissed me off too. But um, the main thing is all of that came together, not the lowest part, but the, the violence and all, came together into a movie that left me not feeling happy or hopeful or anything like that and superman is supposed to be about hope so okay i'm sorry i hate that movie i just i started out being like it just wasn't very good and now i kind of just hate it so i i'm sorry guys i, I ranted <laughs> well no i i remember on the trend uh transition episode you i i remember you weren't happy I remember. did i rant on the i'm sorry yeah. i was gonna rant on man of steel i love superman i love the character of superman i even love goofy like i love i love ridiculous smallville superman that's whiny too whiny but he's still it's still fun and i love lois and clark superman dean kane superman and and terry hatcher who was amazing as lois and a wonderful character there i love the old christopher reeve i love superman and i love you know like many of the comics i haven't read all of them but you know of the ones i've read but they just 
he's a, he's a character that's very dear to my heart, even in a way that Deadpool is not. And then to see what they do with him in the modern, but that's the point, is the modern era where they've got the Dark Knight, and that, that, I love that Batman series. I love those movies. The first one was really good. The second one was amazing. The third one, I wasn't quite as into, but it was still really good. But that's not what Superman is about. And to make it try to fit together by pulling him down instead of playing with the differences between Batman and Superman is the wrong approach. And it's also something we've had too much of in our modern movies is the depressing, you know, grim movies. I, I don't want that all the time. I want some, I want Guardians of the Galaxy. I want fun. I want space ridiculousness and a rocket raccoon and Groot, you know? I And, and Groot with his, Oh, crowning moment of heartwarmingness. He d he has a wonderful one in the movie, which you you'll love it when you see it. I think. But anyway, so yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, kind of maybe to bring it back around. I mean, that's. I I didn't see Man of Steel because I was like, I don't really think this is the tone that works for Superman, and my life is too short. And when people came back and said. It made us angry, quite frankly. I was like, you know, I might watch it someday on cable, but right now, my life is too short for this. Yeah. It's the theme of our show. Our lives are too short for the things we don't like or have time for. <laughs> I'm still a bit too short. But maybe someday we'll catch up on them, because maybe they're not all things we're not on because we don't want to see them, but instead because we just, oh my god, there but is no time. I, I think it is important to note that we're not saying this is how you just exempt yourself from all kinds of good and wonderful things. Well, life's just oh, too short. Oh, no. But of it is, not. it is a, you know, you have to prioritize and I've just stopped feeling bad about that quite honestly. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, that was the whole point. Like, last week I had this weird, I, I should have realized this years ago, but I had this weird moment of realization where I was like, I don't, here, here are all the fucks I do not give <laughs> about the fact that I'm so behind on the newest, latest thing that everybody else is like, you haven't seen or read or watched it yet. And I'm like, you know what? You probably haven't seen this other thing that I've seen. So it all balances out in the end and I don't care. But no, I love wonderful media and I consume as much of it as I have time for and enjoy it and obviously talk about it, write about it, etc. So, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely would never say there's, you know, just don't pay attention to this stuff because there's not enough time. My, my thought is more... Don't feel bad about thinking you're missing out on stuff because the culture of geekdom or geekosity or whatever you want to call it is now everywhere, whereas before you didn't necessarily know what you were missing out on. All you knew was when you discovered something amazing and wonderful. And I like that feeling. I like the feeling of like, I just picked up this book and it was so much fun. Oh my god. And then I will, you know, I'll share it, obviously. But I won't feel bad because I didn't also pick up the other five books that came out, you know? Well, the thing is, we don't live in a five-network, must-see TV monoculture anymore. Right. And we are going to miss out on things. I mean, that that is, we, we are missing out. Fear of missing out? No, we are. We are. And that's just something <laughs> you eventually realize is inevitable and you just kind of have to embrace it and instead of being afraid of it just go well no i am missing out on things and yeah. that's gonna have to be okay and i do i have to wonder um being in the generation as you and i are of people who you know grew up with getting things like instant messenger and then phones and cell phones and smartphones and all of that so we're in that kind of transition period where we didn't grow up 
from birth with an iPad in our hands, and yet we have all that stuff now. I think part of that immediacy is what makes me, what has made me feel like, oh my god, I'm missing out, I didn't go do the thing, and then I think about it and I'm like, you know, those earlier times, they were okay too. I'm cool with that, you know? <laughs> Just stepping back a little bit from the, from the being plugged in every moment of the day is, and I, I honestly, I could be wrong, but I think that's something a lot of people struggle with today. So, um, we probably need to start winding up because, uh, among other uh, yeah. things, it is raining super hard, and I'm getting concerned for our internet connection. However, I think we hit everything on the list. We totally did, and maybe our next episode won't be quite so long. <laughs> but we did. I think we talked about all the things that we decided to talk about. So go us, because going into this, we weren't sure what we were going to actually cover. So. <laughs> Cleo, would you like to wrap us up here? I I can indeed. We have do we have any idea what we want to do next month? Can we tease that? We don't know. I guys, tune in next month for awesomeness of awesomeosity. It's a surprise! Yay! Okay. So this has been episode seventy-six. Indeed, seventy-six of May to Fail. Our first solo episode. And I'm Emily. I'm Cleo. And we hope you tune in again. You've been listening to Made of Fail with Emily Witten and Cleolinda Jones. For more episodes, please visit www.madeoffail.net. And don't forget to come chat with us on Twitter at, at made underscore of underscore fail. Follow us on Tumblr at madeoffailproductions.tumblr.com and search for Made of Fail Podcast to find our Facebook community page and become our Facebook friend. Alright. I can't sing. Well, neither can I.